Welcome to another edition to the Sports Mecca podcast. Today we have the pleasure to be talking with now the Cowley College head men's basketball coach, Johnny Jackson. How's it going today? It's going great. I appreciate you guys having me on your podcast. We will kind of start off with this podcast, Johnny, just kind of, you know, what you're up to right now. Like we said at the beginning, you're currently the coach at Cowley College, and you did have, you know, before you were there, you did just come off uh, an eight-year season with Northern Oklahoma. So can you kind of talk about, just right off the bat, how things have been going now that you've settled into Cowley College and then just, you know, how this past season went down for you? And especially in a year like this where we had so much, you know, turmoil with, with COVID and every players, all the players are getting tested. Yeah, well, you know, actually I haven't got settled in at Cali just yet. I'm actually on the road recruiting. Uh, I've made a couple stops in a couple different states, heading down to Atlanta. Atlanta's kind of my area. I, I get my most work done. Um, so I'm excited to get there tomorrow, have a few kids to work out uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, but uh, this past season was very special for a lot of reasons, obviously having to overcome COVID. Um, but, you know, we, we had the, the best uh, season in school history, uh, winning percentage-wise. And the year before that, we tied the school record for most wins and had a chance to break that until COVID happened. Um, but what's unique about this year is, uh, you know, we had a 60-day layoff uh, from the middle of November until January 4th because we had one kid test positive for COVID. It shut us down uh, for two weeks. We didn't get any scrimmages, so we had only had our six weeks of practice. Then we had Thanksgiving, and we were all virtual finals in the last week of classes, and then we had a three-and-a-half-week Christmas break. So I didn't see the guys for 60 straight days. And then we had about four days of practice. We scrimmage hutch, three days of practice or something like that, and scrimmage uh, Indian Coffeeville, and then two days of practice, and we're playing Cali on a Wednesday and a Saturday. So uh, that was quite, to me, to have 60 days off and only really nine days of practice to get ready for a season uh, is pretty amazing what we did to be the two-seed at the national tournament and the number seven-ranked team in the nation. Um, and we took the national champion to overtime and lost by three points. So, you know, I think it's a pretty successful year considering the circumstances. The one good thing that we did have, though, we had seven returning sophomores. Four of them were starters, so there was some carryover. And I think that that helped us in the early portion of the season uh, to win some games that we probably shouldn't have just based on experience. And then the sophomores uh, really rallied together down the stretch, won some close games, and then obviously led us to a conference title and a region tournament championship and a, a elite, uh, elite eight uh, run at the national tournament. Yeah, you know, you 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 just mentioned how this was your best season in school history, but you've been really building um, the Northern Oklahoma program really since you took over. Um, I believe in 2014, correct? Yeah, 2013-14 yes. season was my year, but I always give credit where credit's due. The year before I took over, and when I was in my last year being an assistant at Cali, uh, Northern Oklahoma had the best season to date to that point until mm-hmm. this year and last year. They were 27-4, and four, mm-hmm. and the, the they had went 27-3 and three in the regular season, but they had got upset in the first round of the playoffs. 
But, you know, my whole thought process was to do this, was to try to leave it better than what I got it, mm-hmm. uh, got the job. And I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, the body of work uh, proved that right. But I have to give credit to Brett Weiberg. He did a great job. And that 27-4 and four season was very special. And I see it on the wall, or I saw it on the wall every day mm-hmm. uh, in the gym when we come to practice and have our game. Yeah, I, I just still want to just mention how just, you know, successful you were, you know, in your eight years, 183 and 67, which is, you know, 73% winning percentage and, you know, eight 20 plus win seasons. And then, you know, back to back trips to the NGCAA uh, national tournament. But, and you, you didn't mention that 20, you know, the year before, but really, you know, there was a, a period where Northern Oklahoma from 2001 to 2012 was struggling as a program during that period from 01 to 12. You know, they didn't win 20 games, uh, I don't think, in a single season. They never won a conference championship. Um, and I know you did I know you you did talk about, you, you give credit to the previous coach. When you first started, like your first year that you came into the program, like what was like your mindset coming in? Did you envision your uh, program being uh, as good in year eight like when you first started taking over? I'm not going to lie. My first year, I was just a chicken with my head cut off. I didn't know what I was doing. I just tried to get the guys to go hard. And uh, I was I was trying to be Coach DeSalm, who's now a Hutch. You know, I was his assistant for 11 years, and I wasn't being myself. And so the first two years, I had to learn to be myself. But once I started to kind of become my own person and have my own style and philosophies, I started to get the, the players that I liked that fit my personality, kind of the six five, six six, long, athletic, real interchangeable type players, and just try to get them to play a fun, fast-paced, athletic, defensive-minded style. And uh, fortunately, it's kind of, you know, over the years evolved into something uh, that I take a lot of pride in. Um, you know, for Tonka Wall to be 52-6 and six the last two seasons against teams that have more resources and bigger towns and more scholarship money and uh, all this and that, I take it with a lot of pride that we've been able to do that, but I actually attribute it to the guys, though, because they're the ones that have bought into the, you know, the persona, the little engine that could, little old Tonka wall, the chip on our shoulder, the us against the world mindset that I try to create, because I feel like that's what you got to do in a smaller type uh, school or setting. And uh, we had a lot of community support and very thankful for all the people in Tonka wall and that's going to be the hardest part is uh, missing missing that support because they really did support us and uh, just real proud of what was built, built up over time. And that includes uh, the support uh, from the community because they, they definitely rallied behind us and the, and the way we play. So, uh, Coach Jackson, um, got, got some questions on, like, your recruiting philosophy a little bit. Um, so when it comes to recruiting, how – do you try to like balance it out with the in-state and then out-of-state recruits? Uh, how important do you think it is to uh, get people from your own state to like stay in-state, play for you, at, at, whether it was Northern Oklahoma or at Cowley Community College? And then um, do you try to go after uh, just recruit kids straight out of high school? And uh, how many times do you try to maybe look at getting some transfers, whether it's from another junior college or maybe like a Division One, Division Two player looking to like drop down to JUCO? Well, that's a good question. I put a lot of thought into that over the years. Um, the old Jayhawk rule to me, when you had six out-of-staters and you had to have in-staters, was awesome because it gave a lot of kids opportunities that probably don't get them now. When they changed it to where you can have eight, I thought that was still good. 
because you have a little more depth and everybody's not fighting over the same players. But what I did in Oklahoma, especially the last couple of years, tried to like give the best Oklahoma kids my best scholarships because half our roster uh, for Northern Oklahoma College had to be in-state kids. And so like my two starting guards, I invest a lot of scholarship money into, but they're both Oklahoma kids. They're both on high-profile AAU teams. And to me, that's what help has helped us have success is get the best in-state kids because they tend to be the ones that have the most investment into the Oklahoma community colleges. And actually, I feel like that can be the same you know, I want approach that I want to take in Kansas. It probably won't be able to happen this year um, because I'm, you know, it's late to the party uh, with it being May and almost June and me just getting a job. I, I did get a, my, my first commit was a Topeka kid from Topeka West, uh, Travion Alexander, and I'm really excited about him. So I started with the in-state uh, mindset of, of trying to get the first couple um, from Kansas, but I know it's going to take a little bit of work to kind of get my roots back planted in the state of Kansas. Even though I still have connections, I've spent a majority of my time recruiting Oklahoma for northern Oklahoma, and then also my out-of-state area was Atlanta or in the Georgia area. Um, but six of my players were Oklahoma kids, and five were uh, Georgia kids. And so I've, I've tried to get that 50-50 mix um, and just find the best in-state kid that, that cares about what program you're at and get them all the way committed because they're going to bring more fans and resources, et cetera, et cetera. And that's going to keep the, the communities happy having local kids uh, playing for you. And I do like transfers, but uh, there's a lot of transfers out there that leave for the wrong reasons. Um, and oftentimes it's because they want a bigger piece of the pie and they may not necessarily work for a bigger piece of the pie. And so you kind of got to sift through that or if they've got in trouble or whatever it is, there's lots of scenarios you can go through, but you got to be pretty selective uh, on the mm-hmm. transfers you look to take mm-hmm. because it could set your program back if you take the wrong one or two. Um, you just got to ask a lot of questions. I'm pretty direct. I throw a lot of information out at guys, and oftentimes it's character related. And if they answer those questions without, you know, second guessing anything or stuttering or this or that, uh, I, I usually feel pretty good about taking those guys. But you can usually tell when you ask them tough questions if they if they're about the right things or not. So actually, I try to like approach it that way first. Then I'll talk about the shiny stuff second. And so if we can get past the initial rough part of the conversation, usually it perks their interest because then you start talking about all the good stuff. What is oh. that uh, rough conversation like? What What do you start them out with? Oh, I mean, maybe like, do you have an interest in smoking marijuana? You know, that's one of my first ones. If you are into that, you're not going to like playing for me. You know, you're going to have consequences. You're going to have this. You're going to have that. I know society has shifted where in some states it's acceptable, but to me it's still not. And so that's one of the very first ones. Like, is that a priority in your life? Because if it is, we might as well just stop the conversation and move on. And then, uh, you can go find a place that it's okay to do that. And then I'll talk about the academic side. You know, it's just real important to have guys that want to go to class and not just go to class and put their head down on the, on the desk. What I've been doing more of, the transfer portal and all those things, is a lot of high school kids the last two years with COVID and everything. Our qualifiers are available, so you're getting higher GPA kids. 
and that just makes the daily process of study halls. Team GPA is a lot easier than some of the non-qualifiers, and that doesn't mean that there's not really good uh, non-qualifiers out there that can get work done. It just means that qualifiers have proven they can consistently do it, and uh, you tend to not have as many academic problems with guys that had a higher ACT score. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to work with guys. I was a guy, when I graduated from Highland Park, I never even took the ACT. It took me five years to graduate, and I was into some things that I shouldn't have been into as a young man. But when I got to college and got my opportunity to walk on at Allen and earn a scholarship the second year and be an All-American at Sterling by my senior year, the, the proudest thing about it all is I had a 3.4 in my undergrad and a 3.5 in my uh, master's. But that's why I throw those things out there at those guys because I know where I was at academically at one point and with decision-making. And so I try to challenge them to do the exact same things because I've lived some of those struggles uh, with them. I'm just at a different stage of life than they are. But with all that being said, it doesn't mean I want to take a whole bunch of chances on guys that have had checkered pass, though I'm not afraid to take one or two chances. It's just not going to be the full team's worth. Yeah, um, so a little bit off topic, uh, what are your thoughts on like the NCAA's new transfer portal and like how players can like play immediately rather than sit out here? Do you think that helps or hurts college basketball in your perspective? I think they need a limit going on. I do think kids can make a mistake or coaches can make a mistake in the recruiting process. And you should be allowed to transfer without a consequence. But I feel like it should just be one time. And then if you did it again, then you got to sit. It's just going to create a wild, wild west. Like recruiting is just so much harder now because kids feel like grass isn't green for them at that one moment. They're just going to go look for greener pastures. Just kids getting confused and lost mm -hmm. in the process. And a lot of them are just going to get like filtered through and cycled out and it's no fault of their own except for what's going on that's a new trend yeah and so i definitely think it's it's more hindrance than helpful but i do see a value in it if they regulate it mm -hmm. because hey i got a job you know i was allowed to to leave nobody says anything to me about going to cali hey congratulations why can't a kid transfer them if mm -hmm. they got a better opportunity for themselves? But again, it should just be one time. Right. I, I assume you would know who he is, but you know, there's a national college basketball analyst, friend for Shilla, that covers the, the Big 12, and sometimes he'll cover the East Coast schools. And he did bring up a good point. Like sometimes, because now that we have the, the transfer portal and then these players are automatically eligible when they're transferring to a new school, sometimes these kids, when they're dealt with adversity, instead of maybe sticking out an extra year um, and staying within that program to improve. Because the transfer portal now allows players to just ditch after one year, you know, sometimes it's kind of an easy way out for some of these kids. Instead of going through the process and growing pains of staying and learning, they just they cut their ties and get out. I mean, do you kind of feel like that's also um, a negative f effect with the transfer portal? I agree 100% on that, and that's what's happening is is exactly what you just said is one side of adversity, they're running and getting the heck out of Dodge. And uh, to me, the only way you can combat that is the parents at home. And again, that's where you go. If you do studies, the people's parents are involved in kids' lives are probably going to tell them to push through. But when you start having different different socioeconomic income levels, life experiences, maybe you're living with an uncle or, or a, a friend of a friend or whoever, 
they start getting all these advices from people that aren't really having their best interests in mind. And so that's why all that stuff starts to happen. But to me, it's going to take strong parents to encourage them to push through it. I don't know how many really do those things anymore. You know, actually, I try to uh, make sure I involve the parents and, you know, as all coaches should uh, be hands on with the parents and, and put the expectations up front and let them know what to expect. So then if it's different, then you can attack it from a different way and say, hey, this is what we discussed and they need to push through this. And usually you have a, a pretty good response uh, from the parents and the student athlete because they're like, oh, yeah, you did talk about that coach. And so the relationship side of it to me is the most important key is that you're not lying to the kids um, and that you're up front with them. So they're not looking for the, the first ticket out if things don't go their way, if that makes sense. I think, yeah, it kind of I, makes me think I was listening to uh, Rick Pitino in a podcast and he talked about Russ Smith and like how his freshman year he didn't play at all, really play at all. And then like he wanted to transfer. Dad kind of like talked to Pitino and like, but uh, Russ ended up sticking out and then he ended up like being a star on that 2013 team that ended up cutting down the nets. Right. Now that it comes to the transfer portal, like, you must target, you know, a few guys that are in the transfer portal whenever you see them. But, like, how long do you start to target these players that you could possibly add to a team? How many hours when you were in Northern Oklahoma or, you know, before Northern Oklahoma? Like, how tedious is, like, the recruiting process? Well, uh, my, my philosophy's changed on that side of it. I mean, to me, if you have in-state requirements like they used to in Kansas, you'd be out every Tuesday and Friday, no matter what, just trying to find a diamond in the rough or try to beat someone because you're going to show up more times than they are or whatever it is. But to me, you can, in JUCO, it's not the same as four-year, but in JUCO, you can start recruiting in March and you can get a dang good team. Like I've had a whole bunch of Division One guys that I didn't know anything about until March. And then you go out and spend, you know, a couple weeks on the road uh, two or three times. You're going to find some guys that are available that didn't want to listen to JUCO at first. Uh, options started to fall off the table or opportunities. And then you swoop in. And I think it's kind of like an opportunistic timing that JUCO coaches can kind of swoop in and steal some guys talent-wise that maybe they shouldn't have. And you're the new shiny object. And it creates like sometimes there's a, a, a feeling of panic like oh i don't have any offers oh here's one and then they can come play for you that way and so like that's that's been my approach and that's why i'm on the road i'm literally going to be on the road until june 8th i have two players committed i have 13 more and i'm going to go from city to city state to state just trying to find guys fortunately um my son's with his mom for six weeks uh, i usually uh, he stays with me during the year, so I got you know six weeks to just grind it out and and find a team. Uh, but with the with the portal side of it, that side of the question, actually, with you saying that, I met with a kid this morning that's in the portal, a Division One guy trying to you know go down. He's uh, considering junior college options. But my approach is this: I I once I kind of at least when I was at Northern, you might have to take some transfers year one or year two. But after that, I don't want to. I'd rather build my guys up with freshmen that have been in the system and then carry it over into that next year because they already know your system. You, you don't have to go through a lot of the growing pains. And if you get a good group like we've had the last two years, 
um, of sophomores that are bought in all the way. I think that's when you win big is just having like your own homegrown talent and per se of guys that went through the, the initial struggles as freshmen and they re- reap the rewards as sophomores. You just mentioned the developmental part and I am interested in kind of your thoughts on, on this area. You know, you've in your total of your 12 year junior college coaching career, you've placed, you know, 29 NC Division one players, 25 uh, Division two players. So you have a lot of experience of putting these guys through your system. What methods have you used throughout your coaching career that has been evidence in just these individual players' growth as basketball players? Honestly, I don't think it's anything that I do special. I do the same thing every year with all the guys. <laughs> I give the guys the credit because if, if they're willing to put in the work that we're going to put in, like I think I do a good job of pushing the guys and trying to stay up with the times of certain drills to do or some some simple team concepts. But at the end of the day, the ones that make it, Division One or Division Two or any four-year school for that matter, uh, they're the ones that have to put the work into it because that is the one thing I will do. Like I went and worked a kid out in Topeka and he couldn't even get through the first five minutes of the workout. It's just basic stuff. And all I told him was you can turn it over, you can miss shots and I don't care. I just don't want you to quit in the workout because I try to get the pace up like a college type pace. Anytime I work a kid out and you, you learn a lot in that workout because if they can't get through it, one, they're either out of shape and haven't been pushed or they have a, a losing mentality or, or two, they just really don't want it. And so I just kind of steer clear of those guys. And I just try to, when I go work out kids, if they can make it through a tough workout and listen to that tough conversation that we have before I start talking about the shiny stuff that I mentioned, then those are usually the guys that have that opportunity to play at a high-level Division two or Division one basketball. And not a knock on NAI because I played NAI, and I know that's a high-level basketball too. And, and some guys go on there and have success as well. But it's nothing special. Like, I literally probably do. I have probably three different days of different things that I do, but I I do it all. Like, it might be two, two and a half hours worth of the same thing, but you have that same pattern down, and then you switch it up a few days later with a different one, then you switch it up with a different one, but you mix it up, you know, a few different times in a couple different ways, and and, and I've just stuck stuck with that same formula, same way than weight room. You know, just have a, a consistent daily regimen. And uh, like I said, it's the ones that put in the time that are the ones that, that have the most success. Like the kid we had this year, first team All-American, uh, we're coming back from, from the national tournament. And here's what he says to me. He's like, coach, if uh, you had it came and offered me, I was probably just going to go be a student at Georgia, uh, Georgia State. And you're talking about a kid that was second team 2A Georgia, a two-time state champ, and he had no offers. But what he did have was a desire to be really good. And all I told him was, hey, come play for me. We'll get you where you want to go. He's freshman of the year in our league last year. He's first-team All-American, but it's because he'd spend 45 minutes to an hour every day after practice working on his game. He'd lift weights on his own outside the times that we do, and he'd get all of his homework done. He's a 4.0 student. But that's all I'm saying. I give the credit to those guys because those those are the ones that are just listening to things I'm going to tell everyone, and they just happen to take it personal. And I think that's why those guys have success. And so while I'm there as a part of the process, it's really them. It's really them. One of the things that I guess that makes great coaches is uh, creating uh, creating great team cultures. Um, what are some ways to create a positive team culture? And then what are the ways you and your staff develop a team culture that leads the team to success on and off the court? 
Well, uh, we definitely at least do uh, one community service project per semester. And I think that creates a, you know, and it won't just be every one of the same day. And sometimes it is, but that creates a, a community support and interest that they see them uh, integrating themselves in the community to hopefully get a full overall student well-rounded experience doing things like that. It might be as simple as what we call celebrity readers, you know, just going and reading to the elementary school kids or going and playing at the, at the school with them during recess uh, or picking up trash at the park or on campus. Um, I've also done where, you know, we have certain little team rules that they don't follow. Hey, you got a community service to do then. You go pick up the trash on campus or you do this or you do that and not just sit them right away. So they, they learn through like work. Um, other things we do, you know, get them out there and do tire flips, team co uh, competitive tire flips, uh, just uh, team culture, building it in the conditioning process. And, and other things we do, like I emphasize team every day. Like if you were to go look at our statistics, uh, we're very well balanced. Uh, lots of guys are involved. I've never had a 20-point score in, in all my years as a head coach. And we've had four All-Americans in the last six years. And now last year we had a guy average 19. Um, but that's also because he made 123s. But most of the guys that have been All-Americans have had average 14, 16, and 15 points. And so to me, that says that if you win, even though you don't average a lot of points, you can still have success individually because everyone's involved and that's how you get more accolades like Tyrell Morgan. The kid I was just talking about, he averages 15, whatever points per game on like 10 shots. But I always try to get him to shoot a couple times more, but his whole thought process is, and it made me really respect him when I, I, I said, Tyrell, you need to shoot more. And he's like, coach, you're, you're always saying, get my teammates involved when they're open. I trust them. But then it makes me think about all the conversations we've had with the guys about that. You got two on you, take it to an open teammate, trust that they're going to make it. So I think it's just the daily consistent things that you plant their their minds. And it's like uh, going with the, the planting seeds in other people's minds. Like, so I had a guy on my team, you know, he could be emotional uh, and he's a very good player and he helped us win a lot of games, but he could be emotional sometimes. So what I did with my two team leaders was, tell them and encourage them like, Hey, plant some positive seeds in his head so that when there's an emotional moment, like spend time with them uh, a couple times a week, FaceTime him or text him or this or that, just checking on them, not even talking hoops or this or that, just talking about life and plant seeds in them. So when he gets on an emotional high or low that you can say, Hey, we've talked about this stuff, man, let's calm down. Let's get through this. And like this year, I, I really saw the fruits of the labor of my two team leaders with that one kid because he really played well down the stretch. Uh, and he got a lot of, over a lot of his emotions because of all those little seeds that were planted over a course of time. But that's how I feel like the team culture is developed is like it's a collective thing and not just, hey, Coach Jackson says it's the end all be all. And it shouldn't be that way. Like I try to do it where everyone has a voice. And you have a line of respect, and we just don't cross it. But you are allowed to speak over on things, just as I am. And if we can meet in the middle on something, we will. But then I feel like it creates an ownership uh, for everyone to feel like they're just as big of a team as the guy that's the leading scorer 
or the guy that's at the end of the bench. But everyone's involved because everyone has a voice in their own way. Uh, so that's just kind of my philosophy on on building a team culture. Yeah, that, definitely. I, I like I like the uh, fact that you try to you put in that positive like mindset with like guys who are maybe you know have somewhat emotional problems. I think that's a great way to handle it. And I, and I really love the community service. Like I really appreciate that. Like I run a uh, cross country and track at uh, at Emporia State, and uh, we we're required to each each uh, year to get at least uh, 10 hours of community service. So it's definitely great that a uh, college program is getting involved in the community, not just uh, to show like how, like to build character, but also really shows that the community, that your team is like really supporting the community and that will make the community want to go support the team as well. I also think it's good when the athletes go support the other athletes or the other students that are in fine arts or whatever it is like, show up to their events to support and they'll show up to your events and support. Like my example this year would be our soccer team was really good. And uh, I remember we were going to region championship game and I said, I really need you guys there. And I asked the coach, I was like, I know you guys have Saturday off and you guys practice early and come support us at the game. And he goes, yes, sir. And I said, Hey, I will 100% promise we will return the favor. <laughs> and each opportunity we were able to for a home game, all the guys were there. And when all the guys were gone and they had their region tournament, guess who drove over there and showed support? Coach Jackson. So I'm a big advocate in, in showing support for the other programs as well. Uh, so it's a mutual mutual respect and support amongst the group of uh, student-athletes. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, one thing we do at, a, at Emporia State is, like, we have, like, this competition. So, like, whoever, whatever team, like, shows up to, like – to another team's program's event that, like, they end up, like, posting it on a social media, and then we get, like, points, and we try to tally up and try to make it a competition, so, like, to get everybody, try to get everybody more involved with the other uh, programs. Oh, I like that idea. I may have to look into that. That sounds uh, like a, like something that would be fun. Yeah, definitely. It's, all, it's great, great supporting, like, the other program's and then they give them your your back too, and then also you can like really bond and connect with uh, other other students at the school too. I think it just it's really good to show that like like the whole athletics, all the athletes are pretty much a big family. There's like not just with your team, but with others. Right, right. No, it's real powerful when when uh, all the sports support each other because it just creates that that home court advantage or home home field advantage or whatever it is it just creates that excitement sometimes that helps you win a game yeah 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 no doubt just to take it back a little bit you know kind of more of like the bigger picture here for for you uh coach jackson through your 12 years of of coaching at the junior college level in your opinion what if you had to kind of adapt with the most like what has been something throughout your tenure that you've had to like constantly change maybe every year whether it's actually playing in a you know game by game or you know off the court you know uh handling players emotions like how have you adapted throughout your 12 years yeah i've put a lot of thought into that actually it's something that i think a lot of coaches you know i feel like at least with me i try to talk to a lot of coaches to keep our our peer support group real solid and strong and that's one of the things we discuss is how do we adapt with the times and the way i've adapted with the times is I keep things way simpler. If you got a whole bunch of stuff that you're just trying to cram uh, in early, usually the guys 
tend to be robots. And so I try to keep it simple early and add little tweaks along the way uh, that aren't major changes. And it kind of lets the guys play a little more loose and free and not bogged down mentally where they're playing robotic. And then another thing, my patience level has changed. And the reason my patience level has changed is being a dad. And so I feel like I understand like the guys better because I I have a son, I have a daughter, and I have to take things uh, indifferently. I also coached my son's team, um, and they were fourth graders when I first started then fifth and sixth this past year. But the thing that's helped me become a better coach and adapt with the times is I had to explain so much to the the younger group that it it helped me with the college guys because I just assume they know things all the time. And actually, I talk. I mean, if you listen to me talk right now, like I try to be as detailed as I can on things. But that's how I have been with the guys is that I try to explain it in, in terms that are more understandable or in more depth so that we're all on the same page. And then, uh, as I discussed before, the, the relationship uh, side, just planting seeds with the guys. Just, hey, hey, don't forget to you have a homework assignment due or, hey, how's your family? Or, hey, tell me about this. Or, hey, let's talk about that. Or, hey, let's discuss MJ, Kobe, and LeBron. Just keeping those <laughs> daily relationships alive where they know it's not just basketball. So that's how I've adapted with the times is just is just being more patient, keeping things simpler, and then relationships. Uh, another question that popped into my head. So if you have like a, so a team that, what are your, if you have a team that's like really good, uh, having like a really good season, but then all of a sudden they have this like losing, a little bit of a losing streak, um, how do you like get, get them to loosen up again? Like do you sometimes maybe like go out and go out and have, do like a game or like maybe go do like something, something outside basketball just to loosen them up? Yeah, for sure. So this year you want to know what we did is, uh, we played, we had a cornhole tournament. <laughs> so we went in a small gym, even when we were winning. I was like, hey, you know, practice is just kind of getting stale. Let's switch it up. And, and we had a, a cornhole tournament. Hey, and by the way, I won the cornhole tournament. So I'm real proud of that. Uh, beating all the 18, 19, and 20 year olds. Or it might be wiffle ball in the gym, or it might be uh, a movie day or. Whatever it is, I definitely am okay changing pace. Sometimes we'll do it when we lose. Sometimes we'll do it with when we win. It just depends on the vibe and what's going on. Usually the vibe is if it practice is getting stale or emotions are getting high, you just try to find a way to compete in a different way. And so that's just kind of how I approach it. The one last thing that I really wanted to, to ask you, Coach, and you know, I don't know if Sam has a couple more questions to ask, but for me, what message if you have to, if you would have to see a coach that is about to start their coaching journey at a community college, what would your message be to them? Maybe to to say, okay, well, if you want to have a 10, 15 year career in this coaching atmosphere, like you have to do this, this, and this. Be who you are. Find your own style and recruit to it. Adapt each year that things are adapt. Just like the transfer portal, you have to adapt to it. You know, it is what it is. It's a part, of, a part of the game. Grind out what you want your program to be. You know, if you start a community college, not everyone has the most resources. So you got to be creative. You got you to gotta go find diamonds in the rough. The thing I would tell them is you can't be afraid to work. You got to get out on the road and grind away. 
because it's going to build relationships where people trust you. And that's how you can steal players that maybe wouldn't necessarily go to you because people trust that you're going to develop them as student athletes and not just as a basketball player. And so that's what my message would be, would be those things. Yeah. Um, one more question. Um, I got for you. So when it comes to uh, with with your players and uh, getting them to uh, to the school that they they want to, or uh, getting them to that level that they want to, um, what are some things that uh, that you do to try to make it happen? And then, like, what do you what do you like tell like some of the recruiters that like want want your athletes? And how important is it to be uh, to be honest with the with them when it comes to one of your players? The the first thing to answer the first question. Um, social media promotion is huge. Like my goal is to get every uh, player on the team, a highlight video, whether they didn't make it, whether they quit, got kicked off, or if they're the first team all American, I feel like everyone should have a highlight video, um, that you promote them with and that you have access to send the coaches. Uh, I, I'm pretty, uh, pretty active on the phones so i name drop guys when they ask about guys i make sure to tell them about our guys and other guys i make sure we go to events that coaches are going to be at so for juco that would include the the jamborees particularly the the mullins jamboree or the juco advocate jamboree where there's you know 50 60 70 teams and tons of coaches are going to come and and see those events so it's just making sure that you provide them opportunities to compete in events that are going to showcase their their skills but then also you still have to remind the guys on a daily basis what they're working for if they say they have a certain goal and they're not uh, their work ethic's not matching that you gotta you gotta challenge them you gotta test them you gotta maybe run it out of them or talk it talk to them or whatever it is there's lots of different ways to try to get that message across um but I'm always honest with coaches, um, almost to a fault. I'll tell them what their strengths and weaknesses are, but I try to highlight the, the character side or academic side to them as well. Because uh, at the end of the day, they're representing me and whichever community college that I'm associated with. But it used to be NOC Tonkawal, now Cali. So I'd want to make sure that those guys come back and recruit our kids, and I don't want to send them a bad apple. Definitely. I think, yeah, recruiting highlight videos is probably like the – one of the biggest things when it comes to recruiting gives an opportunity to, for others to see see film, and uh, I do I do think that that is uh, very important. And uh, how do you guys like? How do you monitor like so, some people's social media? Like, how do you hold them? Like, do you if you see like one of your players like tweet something that really isn't like a good representation of the school or themselves? Uh, do you do you like shoot a text message? out to them and tell them to take it down or, or uh, do you have like do you like you know do you lecture about them about like the uh the consequences of us some some posts on social media right well so i feel like in the recruiting process you can nip a lot of that in the bud just by uh if they're tweeting those things in high school then they're still going to tweet them in college so why recruit those guys you know, if they have questionable Twitter now, what's uh, a talk or a sit down going to do? It might it might make them stop for a while, but it, uh, eventually it's going to resurface. So I actually go through their Twitter account, see if they're they're talking crazy on there or self-promotion or cuss words or this or that. Any kind of inappropriate things. If there's more than one or two over time, like I feel like that's a red flag. So you just kind of you move on. 
but then you talk about it with the team. You know, when you get to campus, here's what's going to happen through this, uh, this or this. And then, uh, you know, if I see it, I definitely screenshot it and send it right to them. And if it's not taken down immediately, then, you know, we'll go the next step, suspension. Or if they did it again, hey, a multiple game suspension or, you know, uh, physical punishment with running, whatever it is. Usually, if you just do your homework, you can you can uh, eliminate guys uh, without having to take chances by just scrolling through, you know, their their a year or two's worth of tweets and and just kind of see where their thought process is as far as maturity and and uh, being social media friendly. Sam, thank you for providing that question to Donnie because I think that is maybe an area that might be glossed over, especially when it comes to uh, the recruiting process. And and Donnie, you did a good job talking about that but overall you did a very very good job of talking about what needs to be successful to be a you know a, a great head coach some really good life lessons um, that you provided tonight so you know Sam and I really really are appreciative of, of you taking the time tonight I appreciate you guys having me on yeah and you know this is the first time we've had a head coach on we've had Sam and I have had a lot of podcasts with you know former college basketball players some have played overseas but to get a different mindset of the coach's perspective uh, was very cool tonight. Uh-huh. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, you got something out of it. I just try to be who I am, and uh, I just speak it. You know, it's, it's years and years and years of coming up with all that stuff, just life experience. Yeah, I, I love learning this stuff. I love learning about, like, building how to build a team culture, how to, how to, how to coach, and uh, just, like, learning about different philosophies. That can help help us and uh, and continue to become better people. Right, that's what it's about, right there. How can I be a productive citizen in society? With that said, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it once again. Appreciate it. One last comment: is iron sharpens iron, man. We're all in this together, sharpening each other. Thanks again, guys.